Let me just close out this evening. Uh, for this segment, I'm calling it Eternal Assurance. And this is what I said I was going to uh, pass to Pastor David to answer your questions from Ephesians chapter 5 and all the other questions we may have to just explain the distinction between the old and the new. And this will close us out for today. Now, when I first did this teaching, I've only done this once. In February, here in Atlanta. And I asked the question, at what point or under what circumstance can a born-again Christian lose their salvation? That was the way I catched the question. And then, of course, I began to talk about, it, about how for 32 years I prided myself on the winning the debate and argument that you can be born again, lose your salvation, and go to hell. But unfortunately, it is obvious now, based on those debates, that I only, I, I not only lacked the knowledge of the word of God, I also lacked the wisdom. Now, what I'm about to share now, we do one of three things. Number one, it may establish you in the truth. Number two, it may challenge some of your preconceived belief systems. And number three, it may just annoy the daylight out of you. <laughs> My prayer is for the first two outcomes in Jesus' name. Now, in approaching this subject of eternal security, looking back now, what was obviously lacking is this idea of taking one scripture here, one scripture here, and going to battle and trying to argue somebody down with it. Without looking and examining the total body of scriptural revelation. Just as a guide, since we are all students of the Bible here, Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. 1 Timothy, I mean 2 Timothy, Chapter 2, verse 15. The King James says, Study to show yourself approved unto God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Another scripture, I think this one is is in 1 Timothy. Uh, And it talks about how every scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Okay? 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, what I'm leading on to here is, you and I must be very, very careful to just take scriptures 
and pull them out out of context to make a point. Because really, you can, make, you can do all kinds of things with scriptures. We must be like the Berean Christians who search the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. And I'm challenging you, even everything you've heard me say today, if it does not line up with Sonish, don't accept it. I challenge you with that. And not just with me. Any other preacher, any other thing you read, in a book, in a magazine, on TV, on radio, if it does not line up with Sonish, the person of Jesus Christ, you need to totally, completely reject it. Now, look at the scripture Pastor Amari brought up in Isaiah chapter 59 or 58. That scripture is so clear that sins can separate you from God. But if you like understanding in the things we've shared today about how God at various times had spoken to us through the prophets and the fathers, but now in this last days speaks to us through his son, you can, somebody can bring that scripture to you and totally confuse you and mess you up and take you back to where Jesus brought you out of. Huge. The Bible itself said, yes, I'm aware of Jeremiah. I'm aware of Isaiah. I'm aware of Amos. I'm aware of all these prophets. They spoke at various times. But today, in these last days, there's only one man that's speaking. It's not Isaiah. It's not Jeremiah. The son. Huge. Because once we miss that point, then we are all back to this confusion realm again. Using scripture to combat other scriptures with that understanding and wisdom. God said, I'm no longer speaking to Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel or Amos or Nahum. My son is the final and complete revelation of who I am. I'm getting ahead of myself. That's why in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. End of story. Finish. Period. It's God's revelation to man. The word is the means for me and you to communicate to one another. And it's the final and complete revelation of everything God has said and will ever say. Jesus becomes the plumb line to judge every scripture. Forget what he said yesterday. God said, but now God is saying. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The word of God is a, pro- pro- is, is a progressing, advancing proceeding word. It's not about what Jeremiah said. Who made Jeremiah? Who gave him tongue to speak? So the one that made him, that gave him the tongue to speak says, stop listening to him. There was a time he carried my message. Now I am the owner of the message and the only person you need to listen to is me. Oh my God. You guys are not listening to me. 
in Matthew chapter 17, Jesus wanted to blow this thing completely apart at the Mount of Transfiguration. To his right, Elijah. To his left, Moses. The law and the prophets represented. And grace was standing in between. And at the end of the day, they said, my God, this is so much for us. Let us build three tabernacles. God immediately corrected them. No, you are not building the law. You are not building the prophetic. You are only going to build one and it's my son, Jesus. This is my son in whom and where, please, hear ye him. Not Elijah. Not Moses. I know you're carried away. You want to build three tabernacles. Uh-uh. But there's only one person to listen to. Elijah carried my message in another day. Moses carried my message in another day. But in this day, in this hour, there's only one person that has the valid authority to carry my message. Hear ye him. Elijah was good. Moses was good in their days. But their armor is no longer shining. They had a fading glory. But the one that has the Shekinah glory, the express and bright expression of the image of God is standing. There is no room for him and Elijah and Moses. So I'm telling you, go tear up all your Moses, tear up all your Elijahs, and now bring them all and put them beside Jesus. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. Does that make sense? I mean, God, I mean, how much care can they get? But the point I'm making is, we must understand all of scripture. Then once we understand it, then when we start seeing these other scriptures that seem to be at variance with the body of revelation, we immediately know what to do with it. Now, before I left Nigeria, I worked in a bank, Barclays Bank, back in the days. And what I know is that they never teach bank tellers by giving them counterfeit. They show them real money, good currency, and they learn the feel of good currency. They know what good currency feels like and looks like with the expectation that because they know the real when they see the counterfeit, they can identify it. They don't teach them real currency by showing them counterfeits. Why? How many counterfeits will they bring? What am I saying? You will not be able to clearly define and understand scriptures by trying to find the scriptures that are at variance. Uh, for the critters will not make the kingdom of God. This one, if that's what you are, you are getting isolated messages, and on the basis of that, you're not trying to justify what God is saying. No, first of all, find out what God is saying. The total body of revelation, be settled in that. When a variance comes, you know where to put it. Does that make any sense? Good. What did Jesus teach on eternal life? What did he teach? Verse 
John chapter 10, verse 27. His sheep hear his voice. And they follow him. To Pastor Shane's point earlier, number two, he gives them eternal life. And when you look at the verse, or rather the tense that that scripture is given in, it is in present indicative tense, which means I keep on giving them eternal life. I give them. It's not just saying, I give, I'm going to take it away tomorrow. No. The sense in which he says it is that I give to them and I keep on giving it. From Jesus' perspective, eternal life has an element of assurance. And I'm not sure if I should go into that now or if I should just wait a Thursday. This John chapter 10 thing, when he talks about the sheep. Okay, since I'm already here, let me just go ahead and do it. How are you guys laughing? Let me, let, him, let me move this out of the way. Wow. Huh? Oh, there's a system? I'm sorry. Let me go to John chapter 10. Ah, I didn't think I was going to do this today, but I'm here now. John chapter 10, let's just go there quickly. Verse 7. Ah, no, verse 3. Really, you need to read, read the whole chapter, but let me just start from verse 3. Mm. Wow. I'm sorry, let me start from verse 1. I tried. John 10 verse 1, most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hears his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and lays them out. When he brings them out, his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Okay. Verse 7. Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the ship. Now this is huge. I am the door of the ship. Back in that day in Palestine, if this was the, was the sheepfold, in fact, this is very ideal. If this was the sheepfold, the shepherds would bring all the sheep inside this enclosure. And there was one entrance here. But back in the day, the entrance did not have a door. It was open like this. Which means you will, you will presume that anyone can walk in here and grab a, grab a ship and take it out. That don't belong to them. But what did Jesus say? I am the door. Anyone that's going to come in here will have to deal with me. But in the same fashion, whoever is going to come out here must go through me. Think about the implication of that. 
when we think anybody can just come and snatch. That's why in verses 27 and 28, look at what it says. Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither can anyone snatch them out of my hand. How? He's the door. You cannot violate a sheep without going through him. And the sheep cannot stray out without first dealing with him. It's impossible. Absolutely. This is his teaching. This is what he sent to us. So what demon is going to come and get me out of his sheep food and we don't have to contend with Jesus? It's not possible. Now, going back to what we said about belief, do you believe that? Or do you read that and still scratch your head? There must be something else. Uh, Maybe Jesus didn't say what he said. Which one is it? He says, they will never, they shall never perish. Because you don't get in that sheepfold unless you believe. And once you believe, they say, it's done. Not only is it done, it's the door. It's the door. It's the door. There's no other way to enter or to come out. By me, they shall go in and out and find what? Pasture. That is Jesus' perspective on eternal life. Now, do I know more than Jesus? This is Jesus, you don't understand. Some of those sheep, do you know what they're doing there? We have to, we, 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 we can't half believe it. Either is the keeper of the sheep or you are. Now you can appreciate why David said, the Lord is my shepherd. Because I'm in this sheepfold, the door is open. But I have confidence, I'm trusting, I know that I know that I know no one can take him out of there. Not only that, I'm not going to want for anything. Huge. That is Jesus' perspective on eternal life. I can't add to it, nor take away from it. It's the door. To get me, to wreck me, you're going to have to wreck him first. You have a you have a question? Okay. So, so then I guess it's uh, it's fair to say that Judas himself was never part of the ship. Absolutely not. Okay. Judas lived under the old covenant. Did we not just say that earlier? That the new covenant began a few days before Jesus' departure. not a part of the new covenant. If you believe, you would not have gone to betray him. But leave that believism alone. The point is, the main cogent point was, he was never, in fact, Jesus in John 13 said, he said, all of you guys, listen, you are clean, except that one of you guys is the devil. devil." Yeah. Absolutely never born again. 
Look at this. Ah, look at this double insurance. I don't know if you guys have seen the commercial about all state insurance. You are in good hands. Don't believe that. The only good hands you have is God. And let me show it to you right here. Verse 27 again. No, verse 28. Okay, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. So Jesus, he said, no one can stop, snatch us out of his hand. Well, let's argue with that. Jesus, I mean, you went to the cross. You are weak. You are tired. You are hungry. Okay, how about the next verse? My father, verse 29, who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Double cantab. Not only can you not snatch them out of my hand, I know you guys are all Jewish. You don't believe me. You think I'm the son of a carpenter. But let me just add to that one. Even my father is the one that's given them to me. And nobody can snatch them out of my father's hand. If you don't believe me, about my father? So you have two hands keeping you. Two hands. Keeping you. Well, I'm saying here, he said there's no discussion. You're right, but some people are still discussing it. <laughs> the life we have in God is guarded, kept, protected by two unconquerable beings. Colossians 3 3 makes it clear in through Paul. He said, my life is hid with Christ in God. <laughs> I mean, look at it. It confirms what Jesus said. My life is hid with Christ in God. So you're going to have to kill the father and kill the son before you get to me. Now, Let's look at the new, co- 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 new covenant itself. Let, let me just quickly. Go to deal with the. Hebrews 8. Let's go with me. Let's go to the book of Hebrews chapter 8. Hallelujah. I'm trying to find it here. Hebrews 8. Chapter 
Hebrews chapter 8. Okay. All right. Uh, it's what, what time is it? 5.48. Okay, good. Let me just quickly call through the chase there. Remember I told you at the beginning that Hebrews was, addressed, was written to address Hebrew believers who are under intense persecution. So this rather took, went to great length to convince these people and show them the difference between what they have under grace versus what they just came out of under the law. Hebrews 8 verse 6. Okay, let me start from verse 1. We might as well just start from verse 1. We've been here this long, we might as well just do it right. Now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. All of you guys are good grammar students. So you can see here that this man is saying, okay, I've been talking, 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 but what I'm about to say is the main point. Everything I've said is built up to this. Now, this is the main point. We have such a high priest who is what? Seated. He's in a sitting position. Why is he sitting? Because the work is done. It's finished. Who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens? A minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, under the rules and regulation, he would not be a priest. Since there are are priests who offer the gifts according to the law. In other words, Jesus in his earthly ministry would not have qualified to be a priest. Why? Why? He did not come out of Levi. Verse 5. Who served the copy and shadow of the heavenly things as Moses divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shows you on the mount. Now, verse 6. This is the, the, you need to underline this verse 6. But now, he, who is he? Jesus has obtained a more excellent ministry. Comma. Inasmuch as he's also mediator of a what? Better covenant. Which was, also, which was established on better promises. Three key things. Number one, his ministry is excellent. Number two, he offers us a better covenant. Number three, this covenant is based on better promises. Huge. Huge. What makes it a more excellent ministry? Very simple. Excellent, as you you and I know, is that which is best and highest in any particular situation. What we have now is not a covenant of the law, but of the spirit. The letter killeth, but it's the spirit that gives life. So, under the law, all they had were letters. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. Do this. Do that. And from what we know, 
Even though there were 630 laws, if you fulfilled 629.5 and you just omit that 0.5 of one, you fail in all of it. So the ministry of Jesus is more excellent in that it's not just giving us letters of the law, he gives us the spirit of it. So that's number one. Three things mentioned. Excellent ministry, better covenant, based on better promises. So number one, he just did not give us letters, he gave us the spirit. Number two, the covenant we have is based, is a much better covenant. Why is it better? The old covers sins, Jesus in the new takes sins away. John 129. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Again, 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 back to the point. Sins are taken away. Old covenant is just merely covered. Which means it can be uncovered. And that's why they continued in those sins. But in the new, it takes it away. Why is he able to do that? He's able to do that in the new because he's not only just my savior, he's the mediator of a new covenant. Let me help you understand what that means. New covenant is another term for a new testament or a will. I have a will. But until I die, it never goes into effect. So in Jesus' case, the New Testament is his will to us. Okay? In every legal system, follow me, please correct me if I'm wrong. A will is written. And when the owner of the will dies, you need someone to be the executor of the will. Because the person is dead and gone. In Jesus' case, he, like unlike the Old Testament priesthood, Aaron came, he died, gone. Eliezer, his son, took his place, died, gone. Ethama came, took his place, died, gone. No continuing priesthood. Eliezer could not enforce what Aaron saw last week. Ethama, who came after Eliezer, could not enforce what Eliezer and Aaron did in their generation. They had no ability to unearth it and do it. Each man lived for his own time. Are you following me? So they could not come back and say, okay, I put this in place when I was in office. And I'm going to make sure you do it. It's not possible. They're dead. Democrats today are clamoring for the days of John F. Kennedy or Bill Clinton. But Bill is no longer president. He cannot perform the miracle he did while he was in office. Republicans, on the other hand, oh man, give me Ronald Reagan. Reagan, the great communicator. 
They missed Reagan. He's gone. He's dead. He's not speaking from the grave. You cannot go back and do what Reagan did. In his day, it was good, but it's done. So Jesus now, our great and most high priest, he has the power of an unending life. He went to the grave and out of the grave ascended and he went on high and the Bible says he forever liveth. A privilege Aaron does not have. A privilege Moses does not have. A privilege John F. Kennedy does not have. A privilege Ronald Reagan do not have. They've lived and died and they speak no more. But Jesus was both the one who wrote the will, died for the will, and after his death, he rose again from the dead to mediate, or if you will, execute the will that he wrote. Huge. As an executor, he knows what is in the will. So he is going to make sure that the will he wrote will be enforced. His father said, come and take away the sins of the world. It's in the will. Therefore, I'm taking it away. It's done. Huge. This is why it's a better covenant. Honor the old. Priest died and could no longer live. But you and I, under the new covenant, are privileged to be in a priesthood with an unending life. Our priesthood is after the order of Melchizedek. A man without genealogy. Without father or mother. Really, Melchizedek is an epiphany of Jesus Christ. Jesus and Melchizedek is the same. Don't be thrown away by the father. Say no father, no mother, no genealogy. Because Jesus had no earthly father. And God only just borrowed Mary's womb to bring him forth. And from, when you look at it from that perspective, he has no genealogy. Because we just saw in the beginning was the word. Don't miss that. Luke dealt with his humanity. Matthew dealt with his humanity. John deals with his deity. And that's why you don't see a genealogy about Jesus in the book of John. Because God has no genealogy. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. That's his genealogy. That's it. That's it. So we have a better covenant because Jesus is the surety of it and the guarantor. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 22 through 25. Is the surety. Is the collateral. Is the guarantor. And is the executor. Much better covenant. Amen? And the Bible says clearly in, verse, in Hebrews 7, 25, that he saves to the uttermost those who come to God by him. Think about that. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? He saves to the utmost those that come to God by him. He does not leave them half saved. If you come to Jesus, the Bible says, 
He saves them to the uttermost. Do you believe it or you don't? <laughs> ah. So this new covenant will not be based on our performance. No. So we know it's an excellent ministry. We know it's a better covenant. Now, this is where the rubber meets the road. Number three, it is based on better promises. Please say to your neighbor, better promises. Say to somebody, say better promises. Good. Let's break down the better promises. Hebrews verse eight, chapter 8, verse 7. This is where the robber meets the road. We're about to go home. Verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. So outright, you know that the old covenant had fault. The Bible said it itself. Verse 8. Let's read this very slowly. Because finding fault with them, what them? The people. The people of Israel.